Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 18th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, minute silence will be observed by school children and many more of us at 11 o'clock this morning in recognition of a terrible injustice that snubbed out the life of Ashling Murphy last Wednesday afternoon. Uh, funeral cortege will leave Ashling's home in Blue Ball at half ten to arrive at St. Bridget's Church in Mount Bolas at 11. The 23-year-old schoolteacher will then be laid to rest in the local cemetery. Friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, team members from her local GAA club, fellow musicians and the young children Ashling taught in Duro National School will honour this young woman. A young woman whose life has ended just at a time when Ashling's adult life was really only about to begin. Crowds are starting to gather all Already in Mount Bolas, large screens will relay the Mass to those who can't enter the church and the Mass will be live-streamed to people further afield. Today, the country will stand in solidarity with the family of Ashling Murphy. Let's speak to the editor of the Tullamore Tribune once again. Ger Scully is on at the line. There's a very good morning to you, Ger, and thanks for joining morning, us once again on the programme today. Uh, I take it the family will uh, feel that solidarity by uh, the attendance of the Taoiseach Michal Martin, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, and indeed the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. Uh, absolutely, Michael. I think uh, everyone here in Tullamore and in Offaly and Kikorm Kalahi, her home parish, are, are in deep mourning. Um, it's very hard to come to terms with what actually happened last week. I think there's a cloud of good gloom over Tullamore Town itself, and I'm sure over the rest of the county, because this was a senseless killing. There seems to have been no reason for it whatsoever, and people are struggling to come to terms with it. Mm. And many people, uh, I understand there were a lot of people attending the family home uh, where Ashleen was waked over the last couple of days. Yes, yeah, there was a huge attendance at the family home on um, Sunday and, and Monday uh, for local people and the people from all over the country. And uh, certainly the same thing at the vigils and the family were brave enough to attend the vigil at Captain Carr at um, Digby Bridge near the scene of the actual murder. And also in Mount Bolas GA Club, which was uh, which is their own local GA club, the Kilcormac Kalahi. And uh, they're at, at the Kalahi end of the parish. And indeed in Tullamore, 
I was at the, the vigil here and there was thousands of people and many of them I, I didn't know. And I think uh, people came down on the train from Dublin and from other parts of the country just to attend and to show their solidarity with the family. Yeah, I think it was estimated to be about 5,000 people at the vigil in Tullamore, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, and yeah. Uh, the town park is a, is a very big um, park, so the crowds uh, were quite spread around. So it was very hard to get an estimate of how many people were there. But um, uh, the event was scheduled to take place at four o'clock, but it was near half four before it started because uh, mm. the crowds were streaming in. And indeed, the town itself came to a standstill with virtually every business closing between four and five. When somebody dies, uh, I think a lot of us find it hard to know what to say or what to do. It's all the harder when it's a young person and all the harder again when it's uh, such a senseless end of life such as was Ashling's. And uh, maybe uh, that has shown in the way that people have responded, not just at the vigils, Chair, but I, I believe uh, when people came to visit the family home where Ashling was being waked, uh, as would often be the case with a funeral, people brought sand. Sandwiches. Uh, some people brought a, a stew or some cakes or whatever the case may be. But so much food uh, arrived that the family have donated uh, a lot of it uh, and 15 charities uh, will benefit. Uh, that's how much food was brought to the family home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there was uh, hundreds and hundreds of people attending the family home, as you say, with the, the old Irish tradition of bringing food. And uh, I live up uh, on the Grand Canal myself, near Fiona's Way. And at the entrance to the, the walkway, there's a huge amount of flowers and candles and uh, cards there now. And uh, even yesterday evening, there was uh, a stream of people up uh, paying tribute, reading the cards, adding more flowers, adding more candles. And the same thing at the other end of, of Fiona's Way at Digby Bridge in Captain Car, which, as I said before, is just near the murder scene itself. And one thing it was great to see on Saturday last when the early stretch of the canal opened that people were back out walking again including unaccompanied uh, women and men and they were showing their defiance that they were going to continue to use that walkway which is so popular in Tullamore. Okay. Uh, Ashling's sister paid a tribute to her on Facebook last night, her, her sister Amy uh, asking musicians to attend today. Yes, yeah, of course. Uh, Ashling was a very talented musician. She was a member of Ballyboy Soldiers. Um, she, of course, she, she couldn't escape being a musician because her family is deep in music. Her father, Ray, is a member of Best Foot Forward, who are a ballad group who would be known throughout the length and breadth of Ireland and uh, are very popular. So uh, she attended, I think, uh, music lessons with Ballyboy Soldiers from a young age, um, was very determined to pursue her interest in music, was a, a talented fiddle player. Uh, played all over Ireland uh, and indeed the last Tullamore Trad Fest that took place here before COVID she was uh, played at Adams a prominent member and uh, the Paddy Buckley who's the chairman of Ballyboy Soldiers paid a, a lovely tribute to her as well and as well as being a talented musician she wasn't afraid to share her abilities with others because she taught many young students who are, of course are all heartbroken Okay, Ashling was uh, the light of our lives and the heart of our family. Sadly, we will lay her to rest tomorrow. Our family kindly asks uh, that any musicians attending please bring their instrument and play music at the Lower Town Cemetery after Mass, should you wish. Uh, that was the message from Ashling's sister Amy on Facebook last night, as you say. Uh, there's no doubt that will happen today because today is a day, I'm sure, that the family will want to pay 
tribute to Ashling, uh, and there'll be many people, not just the musicians, as we said, who'll want to do that. Jer, she'll have so many friends, colleagues, uh, team mates, uh, and so on. But uh, the little children, the six and seven-year-old uh, children that uh, she was teaching in uh, Durham National School, the first-class students, uh, they're going to form a guard of honour into the church. Yes, as the quotation makes its way, I think he's leaving uh, the family home at Cully and Blue Ball at half ten and to make the short journey to St. Bridges Church in Mount Bolas and there'll be a guard of honour by the young students of first class from Durham National School who must be finding it very hard to come to terms with what actually happened uh, to their beloved teacher because uh, uh, I, I know from... from she, she, she was a student herself from Kulinarni NS and uh, the principal there described her as a little chatterbox and very friendly and I think a lot of the students looked on her as a second mummy. They looked after her. She looked after them and uh, they're going to, at such a young age, it's going to be very hard to explain to them what happened and why such a thing would have happened. Mm. And that will be part of their lives. Uh, for as long as they live. Uh, not one of uh, those children will forget uh, the events of last Wednesday afternoon and how it's impacted on them. Uh, and God knows uh, how that will play out over the years to come. But it, it's an awful lot to take in. Indeed, I see psychologists writing about this in the newspapers this morning, Ger, about what to say to children, not even in County Offaly, but in far-flung corners of uh, the country because all of the schools are going to recognise this today. And this is going to bring home a terrible reality to children right uh, across the country uh, about how dangerous life can be at times uh, but all the more difficult uh, for those uh, who knew and loved her as a mammy as you say uh, to contemplate and will uh, stand uh, as a guard of honour uh, as she's brought into the church today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I suppose it's the parents will have the job of telling their, their children what happened, what happened exactly. And uh, but, but of course, that they have difficulties themselves understanding it. Uh, Mass here on Sunday until a more. Father Joe Gallagher, the, the parish priest, just said that life can be so cruel and we don't know why, so it's uh, just inexplicable. Have you been getting WhatsApp messages, uh, Ger, just uh, to talk a, a little bit, if we can, about uh, the wider investigation? Uh, because the Guardi issued uh, a press release last night uh, to update uh, the media on uh, the investigation. Uh, and it seems that they're concerned uh, that uh, some people have been sending around messages. Uh, uh, with photographs of somebody on a, a bike identifying individuals uh, who are taught to uh, be suspects in all of this. And the press statement from the Gardaí said that they're concerned about what's happening on social media, in particular private messaging apps. And then Garda Khan appeals to everyone to stop, and that's in capital letters, S-T-O-P, stop sharing these messages. Not only are they misinformed, inaccurate and dangerous, they are unhelpful to the criminal investigation. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, most certainly I've received those messages uh, identifying a person on a bicycle in a black tracksuit. And I know that you have a feel for information from the public about such an individual. But again, um, there are messages on WhatsApp, as you say, um, Michael, and uh, we all know how toxic social media can be. And certainly we all saw it with the first suspect who was arrested. His name was quickly out, quickly circulated on social media and there was some awful comments about what should happen to him and the whole lot. So his life to a certain extent has been ruined. Though he did um, uh, you know, make a public statement. He was interviewed by our own reporter, Sarah, and by reporters from other um, media and um, uh, his name will be shared 
Mm. And as an experienced journalist, uh, you'd know better than anybody, Ger, everybody's right uh, to be looked on as innocent until proven guilty. Would you think that the Gardaí are concerned that some of this communication, uh, these things are being said about people so openly uh, because uh, whilst there might be in private messages, it is on social media and it would be considered to be uh, open to the public. Uh, Is there a concern that they may prejudice a trial? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I think you, you know yourself, Michael, that social media, you said they're um, innocent and proven guilty. It's the, it's the exact opposite in social media. A person is guilty until proven innocent. And uh, we all see trial, trial by the mob on social media. And unfortunately, as we know, social media will have to be regulated. It's a bit of a wild west out there. Um, traditional media like ourselves and yourselves in, in the radio um, are responsible as professional journalists there. Um, they won't put out rumours and hearsay, but unfortunately, social media is a free-for-all. So if people have information, the Gardaí are saying, give the information to the Gardaí. Don't go spouting your mouth off in effect on social media, which uh, appears to be the case and uh, trial by social media underway. Uh, the Gardaí are looking for somebody who was wearing a ba- black uh, tracksuit top, uh, who may have been using that bicycle, who may have got a, a lift off somebody or who may have been seen getting a, a lift off somebody else for that matter. Yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, as you say, the Gardaí did appeal for information from the public about a man seen in the black tracksuit. And uh, there, there is a chief suspect who uh, remains in a Dublin hospital. Um, Gardaí are waiting to question that man. And he's been treated for what appears to be self-inflicted injuries and other wounds. And uh, there's an interview strategy being prepared as well. And that will be carried out when um, the man is deemed medically fit to be spoken to by the Gardaí. And I understand that could be at some stage uh, later today. Mm. And uh, uh, they also are trying to gather a profile of that man who is understood to be in his mid-30s and is the father of a number of children. They have made an appeal to police forces uh, internationally to determine if he has a criminal record in other countries because they believe that he travelled regularly to other countries. Okay, so they're communicating with Interpol uh, in that respect. Uh, And back here, uh, quite intensive investigation, houses being sealed off in Dublin and in Offaly, of course, uh, where there may or or may not be evidence, as the case may be. Uh, But they also uh, were working around a bottle bank in Tullamore. What do you know about that? Well, yesterday when we got um, uh, information here that the Gardaí were down at the bottle bank in Tullamore, which is on the banks of the Grand Canal, on the other side of the canal to where the actual murder took place, it would be at the entrance to uh, Fiona's Way. <clears throat> and yesterday evening, a lorry came and took away one of the bottle banks there. Um, the, the remainder of them are left. So I understand there's TV down there. It wasn't working for a long time, but I believe it's working now. So obviously, something must have cropped up on that that has led the Gardaí to take it. It was about four o'clock yesterday afternoon that the bottle bag was taken away. Okay, well, I'm sure everybody will be watching uh, the criminal investigation with great interest and hoping uh, that uh, there's a successful conclusion in bringing justice for Ashling. But of course, uh, the focus now uh, on uh, the funeral, uh, which is uh, to play place in uh, just under an hour, really, when uh, Ashling will leave her home for the church uh, and the mass then at uh, 11 and the uh, burial then afterwards. Uh, it's going to be a, a very, very sad day and a poignant day, I would imagine, in many ways as well, Jerry. It certainly will. And I think it's not just going to be here in Tullamore and Offaly, but it'll be all over the country. Uh, there's 
schools will fall silent at 11 a.m. today at the start of uh, Ashland's funeral. I'm sure many businesses will as well to show their solidarity because um, it has certainly impacted on people, not just in Ireland, but all over the world. And we've got photographs in here from Manchester, from Madrid, from London, um, from Brisbane in Australia, where um, pigeons were held and uh, memorials held in memory of Ashley. Okay, Ger, thanks very much for joining us once again today. Uh, Nice to talk to you as always. That's Ger Scully, who's the editor of the Tullamore Tribune. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Now to Dundalk and indeed uh, to the Merhaven or Moore estate, uh, which has uh, had its fair share of problems over the years. Let's speak to local councillor Kevin Meenan, because as you'd have heard on LMFM's news yesterday, there was disappointment when the county council's monthly meeting was told that there won't be a regeneration scheme for the housing estate for the foreseeable future. Good morning to you, Kevin. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. That was a a disappointment, as I say. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, uh, Michael. Yeah, I I wouldn't take it as a disappointment. It's something I'm not going to let go, to be honest with you. Uh, And I'd be fully focused on us getting one. We uh, we were promised this 15 years ago. In fact, about 16, 17 years ago, uh, I was chair of the council at the time and we met with Martina Maloney, who was county manager, and we spoke to her about it. We actually had her around some of the houses visiting them. We didn't tell her, tell any residents who she was. And she, then she seen them and she went off and applied for one and she got one for both my husband Moore and Cox's. And it was, it was uh, full steam ahead at that stage. There was a number of meetings taking place with residents. Uh, it went as far as that. Consultants were appointed. They, did, uh, they looked at the streetscapes. They looked at the houses that were there. And uh, there was quite a number of recommendations that were that were put forward. And then between, I think it was a change in government and also then obviously with the onset of Celtic Tiger, various yeah, things, yeah. Uh, having them all was dropped and Cox's was put forward as the only option at that stage. And I think they've only really had a dilated version of it. So uh, in the meantime, houses have got a lot worse. Uh, there's been no real uh, investment in the stock that they have. So I've been calling for, for now and will be continually to call for uh, regeneration, for particularly for my having more as it, as it warrants it. Mm. And what does it warrant, uh, do you think? Uh, because I'm sure there's a, a lot more uh, to the idea of regeneration uh, than refurbishing or building new houses. Yeah, part of it, in which is, I raised this again yesterday to the county council, was the fact it's not just a refurbishment scheme. The area has now been blighted with, with drugs, like a lot of areas as well, but in particular there, and uh, you have a lot of de- deprivation there too. But you have, a lot of, you have a lot of fantastic things going on too. You have a, lot of, you have a fantastic community network there, you have fantastic residents who are there. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunately uh, one of the main things is the housing stock has dilapidated and uh, is is not fit for purpose. We have about a hundred uh, OPD old persons uh, dwellings, which are I've been in them quite a few times, and as I say, they're not fit for purpose. We have older people living in these. I, I would actually to come. I would love if your staff or any staff could come down and see them for yourself, experience what people live through on on a daily basis. Many of them have health issues. Some of them are in hospital as we speak, and are reluctant to come out to go into uh, cold as I call them, cattle sheds, because that's what they are. As they were said to me at a previous meeting, they're solid. As 
they're, they're, they're ice buckets. They're freezing cold. Whenever somebody paints them or does anything to them, the mould comes straight through within a matter of weeks. Uh, when the architects were doing the cons- consultation for the regeneration hmm. uh, a number of years ago, they said they should be gone. They should be, they should be knocked. They're not and, fit for uh, purpose. Yeah. They're not fit for, and mm. that was 15 years ago. So mm. like, you, you can imagine now what, what it's like. And they say we have a lot of, and, and it seems to be in particular pockets as well. Mm. We have, uh, for example, Agamene, they'd have one row in particular, which is worse than the other two rows that are there. Uh, and the uh, same with Glenmore Park. We, it's the same. We have a row of houses there. That it's, it's, it's actually depressing coming out of them. Mm. I think that people are still being put in these uh, and, and are going into them. And, and in a lot of cases, doing their best, not complaining, just trying to get on with it and, and doing things. But it's not healthy. It's, it's not, And it's not on. And I don't think, and I think the point I made yesterday is the fact that we were promised one 15 years ago would mean we're, we're eligible for one. In fact, more than eligible for one. And it's madness that we're not trying to look for one. Now, also, it would also take a burden off the housing maintenance budget that we would have because if we were in fact I was thinking about this this morning if it had been if we had had a regeneration 15 years ago we probably would be not due for an upgrade now (laughs) so so Mm. and that hasn't happened but uh, it would take some of the the pressure off the the maintenance budget because it could then focus on other parts of the town as well hoping that having more would be covered would be covered in a regeneration program and the majority of houses belong to the council do they? If you have three sets of houses, basically, we have more. You have your own occupier, you have your private rented, and you have your council. And uh, it's probably about, I'd say, more than half would be council. Hmm. Then you have a lot of private rented and some owner occupier. And uh, as I say, and I, I, I know and, there's. It's, and when you're talking about a scheme like this, it's for half of the houses that are owned by the council. No. Yeah, it'd be half, hmm. but they were looking at how they could incorporate some of the private rented houses and some of the. the the owner-occupier ones, and mm. there were schemes looking at, because that was also the case then, and how they could, how they could work that. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure this is done in other parts. I'm not sure we mm. hadn't got down to the actual nitty-gritty of that part. But, uh, it, as I say, it's... it's uh, and it's not just that. It's, it's, it's a refurbishment. It's just streetscapes as well. We've been left with derelict playgrounds that were removed over 30 years ago, and uh, they've just become open ground dumping, dumping spaces. And I welcome the fact that we're building houses on some of these parts now, that would have been included in a regeneration scheme. Mm. But if we're doing these things ad hoc, a regeneration scheme would give you a master plan for the whole area. So not just even have more of the surrounding area and how it can do and, and it would benefit everybody mm. in the surrounding area. And rather than doing these things ad hoc over a number of delayed years later, we should be doing them now and we should be asking, kicking the door of the department down, demanding that we get the regeneration that was promised a year ago. Yeah. Where's the standards? Uh, how is it that the council can continue to rent out housing that is not fit for purpose, that was recommended to be knocked 15 years ago? Yeah, I, I, and, and we say this, and, and, and they'll acknowledge this themselves. And also the fact is you have people who are, pri- who are renting in these houses paying the same rent as somebody in a different house, which is a, a newer house, and that's not fair. There's, there's no no quality in that. Yeah. And, and that's something I, I'm going to be pushing for now. Because but, lots of people have... have uh, and there has been muted seriously about a rent strike. And, and I've been saying to people, it's not as counterproductive because it just creates a side argument. A focus should be on the regeneration scheme. But we have people who, are, who have been paying rent for years in these houses. And then these people moving to brand new houses, quite rightly so, and paying the same rent as somebody who's living in a condemned house. And that's not fair. 
A condemned house, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. Um, and these ice boxes, these cattle sheds, uh, these housing units um, that uh, have been condemned, that are freezing cold, that are riddled with mould, they have to be detrimental to people's health. Yeah, we have people currently in hospital at the moment and we have people with serious health issues. And I've had, just in the last number of, number of weeks, we've had a lot of concerned families on who have a member who, who has somebody who has been living in these houses who are currently in hospital and are worried that they're coming out with... Uh, uh, and and where they're, where, whether they are in for related to... We have some people who are in, for example, with lung issues and uh, they're now coming back into this type of property. We have other people who have had... Uh, different ailments not connected to the house but have to come back to recuperate in a house which is not fit for purpose and will be detrimental to their health. Mm. Yeah, it's um, not very ambitious what you're asking for really in terms of a a regeneration scheme. I mean, I would have thought that uh, regeneration scheme would have involved refurbishing houses, uh, as you say, knocking some, building some new ones, but it would also include things like a community centre or sports pitches or things like that that would bring some new life to the community. Well, in fairness, we have them. We have a community centre, we have uh, the sports complex, we have playing pitches, we have a lot of them things. But we, what we probably don't have is more in terms of uh, youth clubs. So that's probably something mm. that, we could, we, that we could work on. But the, the, the overall, the biggest priority now at the minute is the housing. The housing now has dwarfed any of the issues that are surrounding that, the people's living conditions. Mm. Uh, we, as I say, we have, a, we, have a, 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 we have the same drug problem as any other state that size. Uh, if not more, and uh, well, probably we, more than most, I would think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. have you have the issue of, of obviously the people who are dealing there, and, and it does bring a lot more uh, drug traffic to mm. the area. Mm. And uh, and these are all things that we have to look at in terms of the social infrastructure, rather than the actual physical community infrastructure. Mm. I think that's there. And it's probably the social infrastructure. And the I suppose that's where I'm coming from uh, in, in, in terms of uh, it being something more than refurbishing houses. I, I think my heaven and more is Dundalk's money more in Drogheda. And when you talk about money more and the drugs problem, uh, immediately you start thinking of the Gearn report and yeah. what can be done uh, to divert young people and to give them something else to be interested in. Yeah, I, and that's why I say this. Yeah, I, say, I say it's not just a refurbishment scheme. It's a regeneration, and regeneration will tackle the social issues that are there at the moment and have got worse in the last 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say it's not just the refurbishment. Refurbishment is, is one major aspect of this, but it's not just that. It, and it's not just and the fact that we're doing these wee things ad hoc, maybe 100 retrofit houses here and there, and they're all welcome. Mm. Of course we welcome them. But but it's not it's not the, the proper solution. proper solution is a master plan for the area, which which will have a regeneration, which will have a social and and uh, and uh, physical refurbishment of the houses and the social infrastructure improved in the area for people. Because there's huge issues there with, 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 with families who are now second generation uh, going through addiction, raising kids. So, and, uh, and I would have seen mm. many of these people grew up in many of them and, and you see the same mm. catalogue of things happen again. The craziness, yeah. the, the madness that surrounds... Houses on fire, uh, shots being fired at, at, at houses or people uh, uh, people being found deceased with needles in their arms uh, and it's a too familiar story. Uh, but, uh, but Just it, one other thing. Yeah. Mm. There, there's a fantastic community spirit there. Of course there is. I, yeah. I, I, mm. And that's, that's mm. the thing that's probably 
kept kept them having more from going under. It's the people who who are there mm. who have went out and, and volunteered. I met with the football club at the weekend. Mm. Uh, they did a do fantastic work. For example, and that's just one, as well as many other groups that are there, and 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 they are going way above and beyond mm. in, in terms of, of of what you would normally get from a community. Yeah. There's no doubt about that, Kevin. Uh, and unfortunately, that seems uh, to be the situation in any working class uh, state uh, that is blighted by these problems. Uh, you get uh, a strong core uh, in the middle of that community, which tries to wrap its arms around those who are vulnerable. But of course, uh, because there isn't the backup support, uh, some are missed or an awful lot are missed and uh, you end up with these problems nonetheless. Listen, thanks indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Good as always to talk to you. Kevin Meenan, Sinn Féin Councillor on Louth County Council. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Yeah, the doll will sit uh, for the first time uh, this year tomorrow. Let's uh, talk about what they might be talking about in advance with our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. A very good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining us uh, on uh, the programme as always. Uh, there's going to be a busy start to doll proceedings uh, tomorrow uh, and uh, I think uh, that there'll be a lot of attention on government and indeed on NEFID over the course of uh, the week. The hope is that the COVID restrictions could ease as soon as Friday. And that's right. So there is going to be a big focus on that. One of the number of things that's going to really dominate the, the door schedule over the next few days. Cabinet is meeting tomorrow to discuss the same method meeting on Thursday where they'll consider the current situation. And the expectation is that there will be an easing of restrictions recommended. How far it goes or when it's going to start is still a bit up in the air. And then sort of conflicting timelines from ministers, uh, Leo Bragg are saying they might take the weekend to consider it and decide next Tuesday. Other sources saying if they get the advice on Thursday night, they may just have a, a calendar meeting on Friday, get it over with rather than having a speculation over the long weekend. But the, the thinking certainly is that the 8pm closing time for hospitality will be relaxed. If that could go back to somewhere like 11 o'clock uh, or like midnight and some other uh, restrictions on large gatherings, for example, sporting events, those kind of things, uh, could also be eased now that we we seem at least to be beyond the, the peak of the wave, the Omicron wave, and uh, coming down on the end of that. But we still have to see what NEFA recommends. It could be that they will say on Thursday from the 1st of February you can you can do certain things and, and set out a bit of a timeline that will have a bit of a phased exit from all these restrictions. But uh, Leo Bragger, indeed, on and in radio interviews and also people I've been speaking to behind the scenes say this is not going to be a phasing like we did the last two years. It's going to be a lot quicker because this wave seems to have gone up very quickly but also come down very quickly and that gives more scope for reopening a bit faster. Okay, and there'll be a, a lot of pressure from the back benches on ministers uh, to bring about uh, an easing of restrictions as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely. So you've already had uh, the Restaurant Association of Ireland yesterday saying that really this should happen from Thursday, that as soon as NEFID makes their advice, uh, change it immediately because the 8 o'clock closing hours are, are an effective lockdown for them. And even though January and February are traditionally quiet, that this particular January has been, uh, been very, very bad for them. And that has gotten support from the likes of Michael Ring and Fine Gael and Malcolm Byrne and Bina Fall, a couple of other backbenchers who will also support and will no doubt make their voices heard as the doll returns during the week. Okay, uh, and that uh, announcement imminent. Uh, before we uh, get to the resumption of doll business, uh, there'll be a lot of interest in the Foreign Affairs Committee, which is sitting this morning, and indeed uh, the champagne celebrations uh, by civil servants at the time uh, that Ireland won a seat on the United Nations Security Council. Yeah, so that, that's meeting at 12 o'clock in a private session. We expect they'll decide whether or not 
to ask Minister Simon Coveney to come in and answer questions on this. He has uh, obviously ordered an internal investigation. So the current Secretary General now investigating the actions of the former Secretary General and a number of other officials who were at that uh, that champagne party. That's been criticised by the likes of Paul Murphy, who says, look, it's, it's completely internal. There's no independence to it. Former Minister Shane Ross saying the same thing. That you, you, it's not worth it. The paper it's written on, whatever this says, because it's all being done internally. Uh, some mixed views on the Foreign Affairs Committee, the likes of James Lawless, the Paul CD, for example, saying, you know, just a bit of a witch hunt. It isn't at all comparable to what's gone on in the UK because Minister Colby wasn't there. He wasn't involved in the organising of it. Uh, things that happened kind of without his knowledge until after the fact. Mm. Uh, but others on the committee saying, including some government saying, um, that they need a few more questions on this because at the time we were all confined to our counties. We weren't allowed to meet up with a huge amount of people and the champagne being popped in the Department of Affairs. Right. Uh, uh, it uh, would remind you of what's happening in in Britain at the moment, wouldn't it? Or uh, is it something different? Uh, we're looking at an inquiry into this, uh, something uh, that uh, Simon Coveney forgot to mention when he was interviewed last week and Leo Varadkar didn't seem to know anything about over the weekend. Uh, and it seems as though uh, Simon Coveney may not have been at the party, but he spoke uh, to the officials for some 10 minutes before the party. Yeah, so it's a strange one. He was interviewed on Friday and didn't mention the fact, even though he asked would he order an investigation, didn't mention, mention the fact that on the Thursday he supposedly had asked for it and Leo Varadkar as he seemingly bamboozled over the weekend as well. I think, look, I think there are differences between here and the UK. One, because in the UK there seems to be more parties than there were actual work days, the way that they're going. Mm. And they new one uh, going all the time. And the Boris Johnson was very much not only in attendance, but the personal secretary organising it. So there is a bit of a, a demarcation point. Simon Coveney did um, Simon Coveney did uh, pop into this room, but the actual meeting itself, did, or the, the party itself, happened in the area where these officials were working anyway. It was, it was their workspace. They were in there to work on uh, the bit of the UN Security Council. And they say, anyway, that it was a, sort of a spur-of-the-moment thing that they, you know, in a, in a moment of happiness, uh, of celebration, they kind of came together. Uh, I mean, Mr. Colby said there was no sight of any champagne, certainly, when he was there. But look, these are all things mm-hmm. that probably could well be teased out by a committee, and that might be the right place for it, indeed, where it ends up in the next few years. It may very well be. Uh, I think Boris Johnson might be in a, a bit of trouble for that, other because, or uh, for for that matter, because he, he was telling MPs uh, last week uh, that he thought it was a work event and not a party. But apparently, Dominic Cummins is saying there's a, a, an email which uh, warns him about attending such a party. Yeah, well, I mean, he's like Dominic Cummings at the minute is like the X from hell, isn't he? You usually rely on these special advisors when they come in to, to keep their mouths shut. Mm. Uh, it's what a lot of the politicians do. Instead, Dominic Cummings has gone uh, a completely turnabout and is throwing every bit of mud he can find and putting out dates that actually uh, incriminate the Prime Minister. So I think he's in a lot of trouble. He has weathered the storm last week so far, but it seems, as we met earlier, that there, there is further parties and further gatherings that are being talked about every single day that the Prime Minister either was at or was aware of or involved in the organising. So he's in, uh, in a lot of trouble. Okay, well, uh, the Taoiseach uh, is in awfully uh, together with uh, the Minister for Justice and indeed the President uh, where Ashley Murphy will be laid to rest at uh, 11 o'clock uh, today. Uh, it's going to be a, a very Sad day and a day uh, to pay honour to Ashling. Uh, there is a, a broader 
aspect to all of this. Uh, that will be discussed in the Dáil tomorrow. There'll be a lot of statements on uh, gender-based violence and a motion then from Sinn Féin uh, in respect of uh, that, uh, which will ask the government to, to take some specific steps. Yes, there is. So the, I mean, this, everything else we've talked about, I think, kind of steps into the background a little bit this week, given what happened last week and the, the tragic murder of Ashton and it has just totally dominated the political agenda. It has really cast a shadow over the country in general. And tomorrow, I think we'll start to turn towards the questions that need to be asked to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again and that women are able to feel safe in Ireland. And, you know, even any of us, that if our partners or our sisters or our daughters are, are going out at night and you don't really need to go with them, you don't feel like they, they have to be sort of minded or allowed to go out in the dark in this country, which is something that's just terrible even to think about. So as you say, there are statements tomorrow afternoon. I think the Cabinet is going to discuss it tomorrow morning as well and may bring forward some specific out- actions. There had been talk, um, and indeed a bill from Jim O'Callaghan last year, in relation to reform of bail laws, um, and we don't know obviously is that the case with the current suspects, um, but in, in general there have been issues over the years with bail laws and people who have been out on bail reoffending. That's going to be discussed as well, and a lot of sympathy said in the door. But I think sympathy is obviously for today when the funeral is on, but only goes so far. And we need mm. to get into what the real actions are. I asked Neil Bryker about it at a press conference the other day, and he said, "Look, government needs to lead, but it needs to be a societal change as well." But a roadmap for that societal change can really only come for government. And things like changing education in schools, particularly in all-boys schools, I think that needs to be looked at very seriously. And there's going to be a lot of suggestions put to the floor of the door this week. Hopefully some of them are properly taken up. Mm, indeed. Uh, Helen McEntee will be to the fore of all this, not just uh, because she's a woman who's a minister, but she's the Minister for Justice, obviously at the centre of any decisions that will be made. But uh, responding to Nolene Blackwell on this programme, Last week, uh, the minister said uh, she agreed that it's something that needs to be taken on board by all ministers and it's a whole of government, whole of society change that's needed in order to make women feel as safe as men, equal to men, so that they can walk the streets at any time that they wish to as such. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like such a simple thing, doesn't it? Like people should be safe. To walk on the streets on their own. It's, it's not a, it shouldn't be a big ask, but unfortunately it is, and it probably is reflective of a society where, I mean, how many women are there at the cabinet table now? Is it four or five? And that's, that's among the record for the, for the most ever. You know, it's dominated by men the entire history of the state. You can look at other bodies like we have through this pandemic, same with Nefesh, predominantly male. And we've had a society that has been predominantly male since the foundation of the state, and, and, and that needs to start changing. I think, to be fair to Helen McEntee, she has been on this sort of a, a more social justice side, the justice brief since she was elected and since she was installed uh, into that particular department uh, and is probably the right person to start to lead change. But we're, we're going to have to see that pretty quickly because this isn't something, unfortunately, that's going to happen overnight. Thank you indeed, Sean. Uh, back to uh, the Dáil Chamber tomorrow and thank you uh, in advance uh, to preview, preview what might be happening. That's our, our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the forward to a report published 20 years ago reads, I hope that the findings of this report will contribute to the further development of appropriate responses by all those concerned with the provision of services to victims of sexual violence, whether they are male or female, adult 
or child. It was uh, the forward to the sexual abuse and violence in Ireland report or what's known as the Savvy report. It was written by the then Minister for Health, Micheál Martin. Uh, Micheál Martin, uh, the Taoiseach now, of course, uh, and uh, I think everybody is acutely aware, particularly this morning as Ashling Murphy uh, is about to be laid to rest uh, that violence and sexual violence against women is commonplace. Uh, let's speak uh, to the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, who's to bring a motion to the Dáil tomorrow. Uh, a very good morning to you, Mary Lou MacDonald, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, the Savvy report in 2001 is outdated. Uh, uh, updated version has been promised by government in the programme for government. It's not to be completed till 2023 and part of your motion would expedite that. Yes uh, Michael and and, uh, good morning to you and just to reiterate your your sentiments there, I I think we're all thinking of the Murphy family uh, this morning as they lay Ashling to rest and begin the just the unthinkable journey now of trying to uh, come to terms with uh, life without her, having lost her in such violent circumstances. It's horrific. It's, it's of course, not the first time that a woman has lost her life um, through random violence of this uh, nature. Um, And as we know, Michael, for for very many women and their children, the the place of least safety can actually be their, their family home. Um, and we know, as you have said, that this type of violence, the fear of it, the threat of it is endemic right across our society. It's as old, perhaps, as society and patriarchy itself. But I, I just hope, um, just to say to you and your listeners, I, I really hope and, and I believe that this moment now can be uh, a moment of uh, a tipping point and a turning point and I, we're bringing the motion to the doll in a spirit of wishing to work with everybody, not in a partisan way or to finger point or apportion blame, but to say very honestly that as a society, we're getting this wrong. The political system is getting it wrong and we need to move collectively and quickly to start getting it right. So one of those things is that uh, survey. It's due in 2023, as you correctly say, that needs to be expedited sooner if that is at all uh, possible. We're also awaiting a third uh, strategy, national strategy on sexual and gender-based violence. That needs to be published. That needs to be comprehensive because there isn't one single answer to this problem. It's society-wide, community-wide. We need change at a profound level in our communities, across our society, in our families. Um, but we need the plan and that plan then needs to be resourced. And let me just say this, and if, if we achieve nothing more than this, let's just say this out loud. The political system can no longer uh, play the poor mouth or penny pinching and run away from the fact that we are not resourcing even basic services correctly. I know that annually when the figures come out and we hear the number of women and children who are turned away from refuge because there's no place for them. When you talk to domestic violence services all across the the state and they tell you that they operate on a wing and a prayer, when you reflect on the fact that there are nine counties that have no refuge at all, um, 
we know that the system has shortchanged these services. Now, we can change that. And that just, there has to be zero tolerance uh, for that from here on in. And we need to invest resources, of course, mm. beyond uh, beyond refuges. One of the key asks in, or two of the key asks, Michael, in the, in the uh, motion is to create a database and to complete that service so that we can measure accurately what is the extent of what's happening in our mm. society. You'll have heard hundreds of stories in recent days of women coming forward telling their stories. I can guarantee you, the vast, vast majority of those incidents are never reported anywhere. They're never registered anywhere. They're never recorded mm. anywhere. So as a society, if we're going to deal with this, and we have to, honestly, then we need to have a sense of its full extent. And the second thing is we need to have a political priority and coherence in our response. As we speak, the, the whole area of domestic and gender-based violence is split across the Department of Justice, obviously, but also TUSLA, and other agencies, we want um, a single unit of oversight and implementation to be brought together under the auspices of the Department of Antishik. That's what we would do if we were in government. That's what I would do um, if I were the Antishik. And I think it's, it's going to require that level of coherence and priority to move things on with the kind of determination that's necessary at this time. Your motion recognises everyday sexism, harassment and misogyny remains systemic across Irish society. And that would appear to be the root of the problem. And getting to the root of the problem may take longer than any of us hope for. And I think all of us would agree with you and hope that the nonsensical killing of Ashley Murphy could prove to be a tipping point. But there's been so many false hopes mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, we were just remembering uh, the Reclaim the Night movement in Leeds in 1977, 45 years ago, for exactly the same reasons. And there's many, many uh, stories that can be told uh, in the intervening years. Yes, and... Um you know, all of us, um, myself included, growing up as a girl in Ireland, as a woman in Ireland, we, we have always, we have all lamented and felt unsafe and felt angry over the years. And the reclaim, the, the, the night movement, of course, um, was very vibrant here. And there have been dawns and there has been progress made and one step forward and two steps back. But, you know... We live now and we need to make now our our moment. And this is not simple, but it is certainly uh, doable. But we have to start from a place of just accepting uh, where we are and accepting the, the kind of, as you say, the everyday kind of hassle, abuse, everyday sexism, that that needs to be tackled as well. We need to do all of it. And and do you know what's at the root of this, Michael? Mm -hmm. Is women are fully equal. We are equal citizens and we demand the right to go about our business, to go about our lives without harassment and in full safety. We should, and we can create a society and an environment in which that is a reality, but it's going to take all of us and it's going to take men of good faith and goodwill. And that is the vast, vast, vast majority of our men. Irish men are fantastic, our men and our boys. And and we need 
not a defensive reaction from men, but we need men to be resolute with us as women to say that this is not acceptable because, you know, the, those of us that are arguing for change, and I think that's all of us now at this stage, we want to change our society for ourselves, for our daughters, but we want to change it for our sons as well. Okay. Mary Lou MacDonald, thank you indeed for joining thank us on the programme this morning. That's uh, the president of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, independent uh, Senator Jared Crockwell is a member of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Foreign Affairs, which meets uh, today and on the line with us with some very pertinent questions, I think. Uh, good morning to you, Senator Crockwell. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, the issue of this champagne celebration about getting a seat on the United Nations Security Council uh, is uh, questionable, to say the least. Uh, but uh, who is it you wish to speak to about it? Good morning, Michael. Good morning to your listeners. And a happy New Year's to all of you. And um, to you. Well, uh, there's a number of people we need to speak to. We need, first and foremost, to have Minister Coveney come into the Joint Oireachtas Committee and explain what he knew, when he knew it, uh, what action he took and why he didn't take other action. Uh, Michael, we, we lived through a time in that period in 2020 when families had to bury loved ones without friends and relations to support them, when uh, families indeed had to watch loved ones die through a window rather than stand beside them or sit beside them and hold their hands. Yeah. We had young people who had to cancel weddings. We had grandparents who could no longer have their grandchildren over. We had huge restrictions on all of us. And the people who were implementing this policy were the civil service, the public service, and politicians were, uh, if you want, drafting the policy. So the Department of Foreign Affairs and the, uh, the then Secretary General knew exactly the rules and the regulations, as did, as did his Assistant Secretary General, as did the Head of PR, uh, Mr John mm-hmm. Concannon. So Niall Burgess, um, and Mr Rogers and Mr Concannon have to come before the committee and explain to us how they thought they were different to the rest of us. OK, well, um, we've all seen the photograph uh, of Mr Burgess uh, and his 20 colleagues or, or so uh, celebrating uh, what was a, a great event uh, for the country, no doubt. Maybe they lost the run of themselves. I don't know what the explanation for it is or could be. Uh, but this is uh, being uh, looked into. Uh, will you not be waiting for the official report? No, I, I, look, I mean, we were in a situation on Friday, the minister uh, apparently asked for the report on Thursday, but wasn't able to relate that in an interview on the national uh, radio station. Uh, on Sunday, we had the Thornish uh, asked some questions, and he was unaware as to what had happened uh, or what might happen, and wasn't sure really who was responsible. Um, the bottom line on it is uh, the Garda are the people who need to investigate breaches of the regulations. These regulations were backed up, remember, by uh, legislation which was passed through both houses of the Oireachtas mm. uh, to facilitate the, the um, uh, pandemic. Was asking the, the now new Secretary General of the Department that was responsible for this gig to investigate it. Uh, to me, is a nonsense. We don't have any terms of reference. Why would you ask the Secretary General of the new Secretary General of the Department that carried out this gig uh, to investigate it? At the very least, you would want somebody from outside the department, independent. You'd want terms of reference. And I don't want to make a big 
song and dance about this, but like the, the, the public have a right to know exactly what happened and why it happened. Well, we you know what happened, me. don't we? I mean, we can see what happened. <laughs> I, mean, I suppose I suppose the, the, yeah. there, there is one question. Was it planned or was it impromptu? Does that make a difference? Well, I don't accept that it was impromptu. Somebody had to invite in the people. We saw that one one of the participants in that gig brought a baby with him or her. I'm not sure which 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 it was, and maybe a mother or a father. But they had a baby in the room, so somebody had to invite them in, which means that it had to be planned. Um, and the, the, the bottom line on it is we need to know how long before it was planned. And by the way, while we're talking about the United Nations Security Council, it was no great win. We get the United Nations Security Council every 20 years and have had it every 20 years since 1960. So there was no massive win other than a gross waste of public money entertaining uh, people all over the world to try and get votes for it. Right, OK. But there's no doubt, uh, am I right in saying there's no doubt uh, that at the time that the photograph was taken that a gathering like that was in breach of the COVID guidelines? Absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever, Michael. And there are people before the courts, even now as we speak, there are people before the courts in the west of Ireland over the famous golf gift. Um, So the bottom line on it is they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew the rules. And somebody somewhere has to answer for this. Instead of that, we have, of the 20 people that were at that gig, six of them have been promoted. Hmm. So what should happen? What should happen is the minister should come in and explain himself to the Joint Oireachtas Committee. Uh, the inquiry the minister has initiated should cease and an inquiry, an independent inquiry should be carried out and the matter should be referred to the Gardaí uh, with respect to whether or not a law has been broken. Mm, okay, but the minister says he wasn't there. He said he did speak to the staff for 10 minutes, but he wasn't there when this breach occurred. Yeah, Michael, one of the sad things about this, and this is no different than Zappone Gate, which we talk, spoke about some months ago, the story keeps changing. The story keeps getting little bits added in and little bits added out. Initially, he wasn't there. Then he wasn't there only for 10 minutes. Then we get to a situation where he he was there for 10 minutes uh, and didn't know anything about the party. Then we find out that he did know about the party. um, uh, Somebody told him later that night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, we need to get the straight story and find out exactly what happened. Right, Okay. Uh, Is this related... uh to the Catherine Sapone controversy uh, because um, that had to do with the United Nations as well and Simon Coveney, didn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, all of it points in the one direction and that is a a certain level of naivety uh, on the part of one of the most senior ministers in the country uh, that, you know... he can he can appoint somebody if he wishes to do that to to a role in the United Nations uh, as a special envoy, uh, which to me is a nonsense. Nobody should ever be able to appoint special envoys to anything unless we know exactly what their terms of reference are and who controls what they say or don't say on behalf of the people of Ireland. Similarly, the party over in the um, Department of Foreign Affairs. I think we need to be realistic about it. It wasn't the need up everybody going around the place uh, having a great night I believe there were only two or three bottles of champagne involved, not the point the point about it is, is 
tell that to the woman whose father died or to the, to the, the wife who's, whose husband died or the husband whose wife died mm. during COVID who couldn't go in and see them who had to get uh, undertakers at 3 o'clock in the morning because bodies had to be removed immediately they expired um, during, the, during the pandemic uh, it just the number of people who have stopped me in the street the number of people who have contacted me and said to me, this is outrageous, what mm. the hell are you doing about it? We really have to have an answer for the public. Mm. And I'm sure there are listeners of yours today yeah. who are still grieving over the loss of a loved one. Or that they couldn't go to a funeral's loved one or couldn't see uh, someone uh, who was very important to them or had to stay at home alone, cooped up, yes. cocooning yeah. uh, and not able to... Uh, do anything that would be considered to be normal. All of that is terrible. But it, 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 I'm sure you take the minister at, at his word and that it, it, you'd agree that uh, whatever the minister has said, he's saying it in good faith. Uh, is it that you want to question him yourself rather than reading what the minister has to say in newspapers about not being there when this breach took place? Well, I think the, the story, Michael, is no different. You, you and I have been interviewing us, or you have interviewed me on a number of occasions, and you give it to me hot and heavy when you feel the need to do that, and that's the way it should be. Uh, you probe and you, you uh, expect answers. Similarly, the only thing we have at the moment is one-way communication coming from the Minister's office. We need to ask him questions. We need to observe his body language as those questions are asked, and we need to decide uh, if the body language is showing signals that we need to probe deeper, then we need to probe deeper. But the public have a right to know. And, you know, programmes like yours, Michael, does a great job in bringing these things to the public. And I, I'm sure that's your popularity in your local area, um, that, that people want to hear these things. They want to know what's going on and they want answers. And uh, I'd be interested to see, for example, if your callers uh, ring in this morning and say, ah, no, put this thing to bed and forget about it. We're not interested. Okay. I don't think that would be the story. Yeah, well, uh, I'm seeing a couple of messages uh, from uh, people. Jules saying, I believe all of the public servants in the photograph should face a sanction. Uh, and uh, think of uh, the salaries that they're on and the pensions uh, that they receive. And it seems to Jules that there was one set of rules for the majority of us and a different set of rules for the public servants. So unfair on the rest of us uh, that have stuck to the guidelines, says Jules. Uh, and uh, another uh, text uh, from Margaret says, why is it different for those who are in power than those of us who are not similar to what Jules has been saying? So maybe you're right uh, in uh, preempting what people have to say about this. But what... Uh, accountability should there be from the civil servants if the minister says he wasn't there and the minister has said that you want to question him further and t test that but if uh, you're satisfied at the end of uh, speaking to Simon Coveney that the minister wasn't there what then afterwards because we know that the civil servants were there they, they photographed themselves at this event yeah as I said, 20 of those that were at that party uh, or at, in that photograph have, have been promoted since. Indeed, Niall Burgess, who was the Secretary General of the Department, has now become Ireland's highest paid um, ambassador in France on a salary of 235000 a year. He's paid almost twice what any other ambassador has paid. He sidekicked the uh, Assistant Secretary General, Deputy Secretary General uh, Rogers, 
uh, is now ambassador to the Netherlands on a salary of 185,000 a year, which again is way, way, way beyond the salary paid to any other um, uh, ambassador. And frequently, when we bring a, a pay claim for members, for example, my secretary, my secretary here is paid an appalling salary. And when we brought a claim, we were told that, well, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform uh, does not want to uh, have a situation where there is contagion. By giving a pay rise to your secretaries, it may lead to contagion across the public service. Nobody cares that these senior civil servants, indeed the recent uh, uh, scandal on the new head of the Department of Health being on a salary of, I think, what was it, 450000 a year? I mean, we need to get real in this country, so we do. We need to have people who are answerable to the state, answerable to the people who pay their wages. Mm. And unfortunately, I think the political class are losing control. Okay, well, that's uh, a lifetime's wages for some people. Uh, But what uh, should happen? Uh, You're saying that there should be some responsibility, some accountability. uh, If uh, it is established uh, uh, in terms of the bar that would be set uh, in uh, finding people accountable, uh, what should be the sanction if uh, it is established that these senior civil servants who are on huge money Uh, did uh, breach the COVID rules knowingly. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what the terms and conditions of employment of these senior people are, but um, I know, for example, if it was somebody at the lower end of the scale, they would probably be talking about a period of time suspended from their role, or they would be denied promotion, or they would face some sanction under the HR policy of the department at the time. So one of the things we will be probing is what sanction, uh, what sanctions are available. Well, I was just going to say, you'd want to look at the HR policy to begin with uh, because civil servants yeah. <laughs> may not face such sanctions I don't know yeah, yeah absolutely okay. no we'll have to do that and okay. uh, you know your listeners Michael will be well aware of the fact that if they step out of line in their work they're subject to sanctions so there has yeah. to be sanctions there and we will be bringing in the HR people to explain that okay it brings us back to that time where we couldn't leave our houses uh, quite literally uh, it seems as though we're at the other end of it and that we might get some good news uh, towards uh, the end of uh, this week uh, there could be a government uh, announcement on Friday evening uh, are, are you hoping for that? Absolutely, absolutely, Michael. I mean, the sad fact of the matter is uh, there will be businesses in your local area that closed and will never open again. There will be people in your local area with businesses who have struggled for the last two years. Um, uh, Again, may never open again. I I was very pleased to see a small uh, item yesterday about timber-built, timber-framed homes from your neck of the woods uh, that is now thriving. Uh, But, you know, there are people who have lost their jobs who will not go back to that career. There are hotels who have uh, struggled to survive. So I'm hoping we will see an opening up. I'm hoping, hoping that this pandemic will become endemic and become something like the annual flu or uh, cold that we get. But look, all of our families have suffered from it. All of our families. I've had both of my children's families have had uh, COVID and have been restricted. My wife and myself spent the best part of a year not being able to see our two granddaughters other than to stand on the footpath and look in in their sitting room window. It's been a very, very painful time. So I'm hoping that we get some 
lift in the next few days and that things come somewhere close back to normal. Okay, well, we're going to hear a terrible uh, story about a business uh, that really is in a bind, uh, Liberty Pantos, uh, that... Uh, should have uh, been staging Snow White uh, this year. Uh, Draw a man involved in that. And we'll be talking to Michael Courtney about the bind that he's in a few minutes' time. But uh, I think it does bring our attention uh, to uh, the situation that was. And hopefully there are brighter days ahead. Jared Crockwell, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Uh, we leave it there. And thank you, as I say, uh, for your time with us. Independent Senator Jared Crockwell is a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Foreign Affairs. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, good morning, Michael, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you'd have heard me before the break mention Michael Courtney is uh, from uh, Drogheda and involved in uh, the Liberty Panto shows uh, that were scheduled for December. And you'd invested a, a lot of money uh, in the shows, Michael, between costumes, insurance, the cost of the theatre, the lighting, the sets, the music rights, and the cast members uh, who need to be paid apart from anything else. Yes, good morning, Michael. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, huge costs gone into this show, Michael. Um, we are probably in... Um, we're waiting on full, you know, uh, tally of, of costs to come in um, versus the budget. But, we're, you know, we're well over 100k at this stage uh, for, for the cost of staging. And there's a lot of those fees that you just do, do not recoup, uh, regardless of whether a show goes on or not. You know, as you've just mentioned there, your, you know, sets, insurance... Um, uh, you know, lighting, cast fees and things like mm. that. There's a lot of it. Some of it can be scaled back, obviously, but there's an awful lot of it that, you know, things that are purchased and procured in the beginning that you just don't get back, you know. Mm. Now, they can be used again at some other point in time, but for the here and now uh, is, the, is the, the, the huge situation. The point is that the money has been paid over uh, and it's yeah. a lot of money, over €100,000, and you had to raise that money uh, and you did that through ticket sales. Exactly. Like um, we're we're a relatively new business, and this is the 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 issue that uh, that I'm fighting is because our business was only set up in uh, the summer of 2021. Um, in order to um, qualify for any of the government um, the, the the live support uh, scheme, I think they're on phase three at the moment. Uh, you have to have two years back history and VAT returns, and we just don't have that at the moment because we are, as we say, we're a relatively new uh, a relatively new business. You have to be staging performances in 2018 and 2019. Correct. Right. Uh, Because there is a scheme for uh, other uh, promoters like yourself, uh, had they been staging performances in 2018 and 2019, and there would be government funding money available to them under the LPSS scheme. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah. But you're excluded. We're excluded, yes, on the grounds that we're a, a new business. And we just feel that uh, at, at the moment, trying to get any communication from um, from the minister's team is, is proving really, really difficult. And we, you know, uh, trying to, to, to get in through um, politicians, councillors, any sort of form of communication, because that, one, they don't answer the phone. And if they do answer the phone, they, do, they just divert you to uh, the same email address that's been set up uh, to support this LPSS scheme. And it's the same person that comes back to you time and time again, just reiterating the same uh, situation that we do not qualify. And our argument there is that's fine. If we don't qualify for this, you know, the minister has set aside uh, five million out of, I think, 50 million from the COVID support to support the arts and pantomimes over the Christmas period. And, it, and that five million is really just for anything, as far as I'm aware, that mm. fell into um, from the beginning of December to the end of January, which we would have fallen into that window. Initially, the, the, um, 
the the the, the, uh, the, the, the sort of criteria to fall into it would have been that your shows would have had to have had a production uh, cost of uh, in excess of 150k, and then the minister then brought that down to 100k, and we would have fallen into that category then. But the way you have to apply for it, Michael, is you you go through the um, on gov.ie, you go through the uh, it's a portal basically, and once you, uh, you you all of the fields are compulsory, and if you don't have the the, um, the, the the financial mm. history to prove that then you, you can't submit and yeah well computers don't have discretion <laughs> no exactly exactly yeah. and it's, and you you, you need to speak to somebody and uh, explain the situation to them because yeah. uh, you were shut down by covid there was the eight o'clock rule first of all and you did try to continue did you with matinees we did. We I mean, yeah. we, on that Friday, it was funny because we were all sitting in the theatre, the cast, the crew, everybody not knowing what way the government's decision was going to go on the Friday before we opened. And then we had already rescheduled to 50% capacity. So we did lose some audience members on that. And we were able to rehouse some of them into other shows. And then we had to reschedule the majority of the shows then to make sure that everybody was off the premises by 8 o'clock, which was a huge, huge challenge to do. So, um, yes, to the point you just made there is to try and get through to somebody. And I know it sounds kind of unorthodox, but the only real communication other than uh, the LPSS scheme was going through the minister's Facebook page. Um, And, of course, you're not actually dealing with the minister. You're dealing with an admin uh, who who monitors the page for them, Mm. Uh, being told that, yes, somebody will get back to you and acknowledging that it is a stressful time and a stressful situation. But still, as of this, we're three weeks in now, and, I, and as far as I'm aware, the scheme closes today, and we have had nothing, absolutely no, no communication on, on this matter. Right. Uh, and, well, you got to the 21st of December, and then you closed contacts, and uh, you were trying to do the right yeah. thing, I take it, Michael, and you, you, you called the whole thing off and uh, shut the show down completely. Yes, we had a three-hour production meeting after doing two shows on the Monday the 20th, Tuesday the 22nd. That was it. We were supposed to do 16 shows um, after doing two we had to cancel 14. Uh, we had a three-hour production uh, meeting that ran into the wee hours of the morning then to make sure we were doing the right thing. Um, and because one of our team um, was named as a close contact, which at that point in time, I should add, was, hadn't been confirmed because there was no testing or anything done. So we, did, we, feel, we felt we did the right thing. We shut everything down and uh, in, in the hope then that we could get some support then to uh, to, to bridge the gap and mm. to, to and did 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 you think uh, when you were making that decision that the government support would be in place for you? We did, we right. did. We okay. thought we thought that there would be some way around. Um, it was an expectation. Yeah. Uh, and we were told at the time people would remember we're going to do everything to support businesses through this. Uh, and uh, as we mentioned, uh, had you been staging performances in 2018 and 2019, you'd have qualified for funding. Uh, the only difference is that you're a new company and therefore you don't qualify for funding, but you're still in the same position. So where does this leave you? You've invested a, a lot of money, you've sold tickets. I take it people are looking for refunds, are they? They are, and we're, we're working... Our, our ticket company um, that we use, a third-party company, you know, they're not... They're not Ticketmaster. They're not uh, any of the bigger, uh, you know, ticketing companies. So it is a little bit slower to refund. And we we probably have, at present, I would say, maybe 70% of the tickets that will be refundable ASAP. And we are working through them chronologically. It it is taking a little bit of time, but we are getting there. So we do need need support and funding, you know, ASAP now to continue that and uh, to reassure customers. You know, this is, as I say, it's a new business for us. I don't want to put that under jeopardy. And I certainly don't want people to feel... 
that uh, they can't support us in, in, in years to come then because of this. Mm. Yeah, so um, why are you talking to us? Uh, what are you hoping for from this? Are you hoping uh, that uh, somebody will uh, take up your case with the minister or what is it, Michael? Exactly. We're hoping that somebody mm. will acknowledge this and, and, will, and will, will actually reach out. I, on any of the forms of communication, I've left my email, my phone number, uh, I've, I've bullet pointed the whole case from start to finish. Everybody has it there, belong to the, the minister's team. We just need somebody to reach out and say, you know, what can we actually do to help you? Mm. And you're obviously capable. This was a, a big show uh, with Neve Cabinet in uh, the starring role uh, and uh, a lot of tickets sold uh, and should have been a big success. Uh, but here you are through no fault of your own. Uh, you have said that you're concerned about your reputation. Uh, and I'm sure uh, if this has a negative impact on your reputation, uh, then it's going to have a negative impact on your future for that matter, Michael. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm producer and director of this, but it's also my company. I'm a sole trader in the Liberty Panto. I set it up last year after finishing up, and you know, so many years working in uh, in uh, in other roles. But um, this is something that has been a passion of mine. I've been stage and pantomime for the last forty years. Um, you know, both semi-professional and, and in an amateur capacity. Um, and we did sort of um, sort of go into Liberty Hall two years ago just to sort of test the waters before we set the business up to see was it viable. And it did look like it was it was working this year. We, we would have been very much on track to to break even until you remember the government's announcement. I think it was about three weeks before Christmas then, you know, that people should restrict their movements. And that's fine. Um, uh, but we, we and then the, the Stephen Donnelly's comments about Panto or Playdate, that, that that set off a huge fear factor there. But we still believed that, you know, we were operating uh, within all of the guidelines. We had stuck to all of the criteria that the government had laid out. And, and we felt that anybody who came to see the show, um, the two shows that we did get the stage, that they felt that it was run in a reasonably uh, 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 and handled in a, in, a, in, a, in a safe manner, that people were able to space out in the theatre because it was only at 50% capacity. So we, 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 we have done everything, as you said, Michael. We have, uh, through no fault of our own, we, we shut down uh, on, on the, the government's guidelines. Had we, have, had we have pulled the show ourselves prior to that, uh, we probably wouldn't, we probably, I suppose we felt we wouldn't have got anything at all because it was our decision to close the show. But we, we held on right to the last minute. We, we, we adjusted everything that was asked of us, and we did it within a very short time. We worked very, very late nights contact uh, customers and move people around from show to show and time to time and um, and, and we were we, we were good to go and as I say we got two shows in and then we had mm. to cancel yeah. You really are in a, a bind Michael, uh, I'm not sure if there is uh, somebody who can get you out of the corner you're in but uh, hopefully if uh, they're listening uh, they'll make contact Thank you indeed uh, for joining us Michael much appreciated, Michael Courtney of the Liberty Panto Company in Dublin. Uh, now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Eugene is in Dundalk and he wants to know why is it that the Taoiseach, the President and the Minister for Justice are going to Ashley and Murphy's funeral today? Uh, Eugene says they're not taking up space that uh, would be used otherwise by family members and friends. Uh, and Eugene, uh, I think cynically, uh, says it reeks of a publicity stunt to him. Thanks, Eugene, uh, for your call. Uh, I think a lot of us are glad uh, that the Taoiseach, the President and the Minister for Justice are going. And I think most of us would see it as 
way of showing solidarity on behalf of all of us, on behalf of me, on behalf of you, on behalf of everybody listening to us uh, this morning, that it's a, a non-political thing to do, that it is a, a way of saying that the country's leadership uh, is showing solidarity for the family, uh, that we all recognise uh, what has happened and that we all want to let them know uh, that we are completely repulsed by what happened and stand beside them and hope for justice for their daughter. Uh, thanks to Teresa, who was in touch with us about uh, huge housing developments springing up all over the country again. She says it's shocking to see all of uh, these uh, developments being allowed to go ahead without any amenities being factored in. Uh, she says, look at the Kentstown Road in Navin, for example. Houses are going up all over the place, but no schools, no green spaces, uh, none of uh, the things you need to make a, a community. There's no forward planning at all, she says. Uh, on the subject of regeneration in Dundalk, Wally says he has reservations about re- regeneration. He uh, says uh, the only regeneration programme that he, he's aware of is the one in Cox's Domain uh, and he says that more houses were jammed into the existing green spaces and the green spaces were lost altogether. He says that houses were piled on top of houses and two-storey houses loom over bungalows leaving people with very little privacy. Not all regeneration schemes are worth it, he says. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, Wally. Thanks for everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station joins us for this week's report and thank you for doing so. We're going to start with a couple of burglaries that occurred in Ashburn and... Uh, I suppose uh, they're not just burglaries uh, because uh, after breaking into the houses, uh, some cars have been stolen. That's right. Good morning, Michael. On Thursday, the 13th of January, between the hours of 5am and 7am at Crestwood Road in Ashburn County Mead, uh, the homeowner here got up to find the front and back doors opened and noticed that the house had been ransacked. Now, during this burglary, the car keys were also taken and subsequently, as you said, their car was stolen. And this was a blue Opal Grandland X, a 181D. Now, the Guardian Ashburn are looking for the public's help with this, so we're appealing to listeners this morning. If they recall seeing anything in the vicinity of Crestwood Road, Ashburn, in the early hours of Thursday, the 13th of January, between 5 and 7 a.m., to contact Ashburn Guard Station. And again, on Thursday, the 13th of January, between 6.30 and 6.45 a.m., at Westfield View, Cookstown in Ashburn, Another burglary with the car also stolen took place and this occurred around the same time as the previous incident. So again, if listeners this morning noticed anything unusual in the Westfield View area of Cookstown, Ashburn, to contact the Gardaí and any help with these investigations would be appreciated. It's remarkable, isn't it? Dreadful uh, to have your house broken into and dreadful to have your car taken. Uh, but for both things to happen to you, uh, it really is uh, remarkable and remarkable that it's happened uh, twice in Ashburn. I'm sure people will uh, assist if they have any information. We're going to Navin now, where Gardaí are hoping for information too about uh, an aggravated burglary. That's right. Again, on Thursday the 13th of January, approximately 3.30pm in the afternoon, at the Turbot Court in Navin. The injured party in this case was in her home when she realised there was a man in her kitchen going through her presses. He then picked up a knife and threatened her. Now, he eventually dropped the knife and ran out the back door over the garden wall. So, as you can imagine, this was a very frightening experience for the lady involved. 
Uh, now, this man is described as about 19 years old, slim, wearing a black tracksuit, black trainers, clean shaven and had an Irish accent. Uh, this incident happened during the day, approximately 3.30pm, and the investigating guardy are hopeful that some listeners this morning may have seen or heard something that may be of help to the investigation, and the guardy and Navin are investigating this. To Oldcastle next, uh, another burglary to report on. That's right, Friday the 14th of January, around 7.30pm in the evening, in Moat, Oldcastle, County Mead, uh, a burglary took place, and the injured party in this case reported that while sitting in her sitting room, she heard a noise at the back of the house. She then saw a male running from the back, and he's described as being young, wearing a black hoodie, with no further details on his description. Now, the Guardian Kells are investigating this and would appeal to anyone listening if they saw or heard anything suspicious or unusual at approximately 7.30pm in Moat, Old Castle, County Mead, on Friday the 14th of January to contact Kells Garda Station. OK, and we're going to conclude in RD, where some items have been stolen from cars. This is uh, something that happened a couple of times in RD. That's right. Wednesday the 12th of January, approximately 8.20pm on Market Street in RD, the injured party was sitting in her vehicle while it was parked on Market Street and a male opened the passenger side door, grabbed her handbag and fled. So the suspect is described as being tall, slim build, wearing dark clothing and wearing a face mask. Also on Tuesday the 11th of January at around 8.30pm uh, at Currabeg RD, another theft occurred and the injured party in this case reported a male dressed in dark clothing, wearing a face mask, opened her passenger door while she was parked in her driveway, uh, took her handbag and then the male left on foot. So both of these incidents are being investigated by the guards in RD and they would uh, appreciate any information and help that the public may have. Thank you indeed, Garda Fiona Kerr of Navan Garda Station, and we'll return to the Garda Crown Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, thanks uh, to Mary, who was on uh, the phone to us. Mary called us to say she wanted to agree with uh, somebody else. Uh, an earlier comment from somebody about public servants, uh, those public servants at the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, who were photographed at that champagne celebration. Uh, Mary says they should be facing some sort of sanction for their behaviour but at the same time she says she wouldn't be holding her breath because that never seems to be the case. There's never any consequences for anybody uh, in uh, these situations. If they aren't punished then it is disgustingly unfair on the rest of us who were obeying the rules, says Mary. Thanks uh, for sharing that with us. Thanks to Betty Daly of Malahide, who says about the panto being postponed. Wouldn't it be a nice gesture if people who wanted a refund let Michael keep it a quarter of uh, the price? It wasn't his fault. It didn't go ahead. Thanks uh, for that. Clare in County Mead says uh, the offences against women are numerous. Spiking drinks, needle in women's arms, rape, murder, filthy talk. Life should be life for murder never to get out of prison, zero, zero, zero tolerance. Thank you, Clara Mead. The final word of the programme today. We'll see you again for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.